Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 63 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Bika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Chelsea's new signing, the very shortened game week in the Premier League with the four teams that played this weekend, but obviously they're going to, uh, the game week's going to finish off this weekend. And just overall, some other transfer rumors that have been looming about um, in the Premier League. But to get things started, Chelsea officially announced today that they have signed Ajax winger Hakim Ziyech from Ajax. Uh, I think I believe I said Ajax before, but um, some of his stats since 2016 are 50 goals and 83 assists. So a really big, big money buy for Chelsea, who didn't make any splash in the January transfer mark, January transfer window, but they finally went out and got their man. So a huge signing for Chelsea, who we've been saying kind of need a little bit of spark when it comes to their offensive creativity. Uh, they're they're a solid solid team right now, but they're. A little bit lacking when it comes to maybe finding someone that can provide that little bit of spark here and there. Mm-hmm. And Chelsea definitely listened to the podcast because <laughs> this is one of the key points that Yesh did point out for the Chelsea team just like a few episodes ago, actually, where yeah. he was talking about, hey, they need a creative spark in that midfield. And even I argued, I was like, well, they do have Mason Mount and like Willie Ann, but you know, now they have Hakim Ziyech. He is a player who kind of reminds me of like a Moroccan version of Ozil, but he's only 26 and he was killing it basically in the Eredivisie for Ajax. And if you want some FIFA stats, he's a four-star skiller and a two-star weak foot. <laughs> so it's not basically, bad. basically is Ozil. So this could be a very interesting signing for Chelsea because it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts to the Premier League because whenever I watch him, I feel like he's one of those, not scrawnier, but one of those more prone to injury because he's not the buffest. He's not an Adama Traore, mm-hmm. but he's also not like a Riyad Mahrez level. But it, it does concern me when he, when I think I'm like, all right, let's take this guy from this league, plop him in the Premier League and see what happens. I think in the Premier League, it's going to be a lot more faster pace that he's going to be expecting. So this 50 goals, 83 assists stat, I wonder if he's going to be able to bring that over to the Premier League and have it translate for this Chelsea team. Yeah, whether or not he'll be able to fully translate, I think just that output of 50 goals, 83 assists, and what, five? That's four four seasons? Five mm-hmm. seasons. That's four, a span of four or five seasons. That's still a lot. I, um, I'm interested because it's another, just like last year when Chelsea announced the signing of Christian Pulisic, he wasn't going to come until the summer. Obviously, with the January transfer window closing, he can't, Hakim can't come to play for Chelsea this during this season, but he'll obviously come at the start of next season. So it's just very interesting that two of their probably bigger money buys over the course of two seasons have been made in since the have been made past the January transfer window. Um, I don't know if that's just a just a different strategy Chelsea are starting out. Maybe it's a way to at least get the player that they want and maybe just let him finish off like you know his good form in the league he's already in. But I just find this very interesting. I don't know how much Ajax will play him now, considering that they already know the man's going to leave after this season. So I, I feel like there's less of an incentive to maybe play him just because you just don't know maybe the effort level he might give out just because now he's got the move that he wanted. But how, how do you feel like, how do you feel about a player? How do you feel about a club signing a player past the window and basically allowing him to play there and not bringing him in right away? 
maybe not completing this deal in January when they probably should have completed it. <laughs> Chelsea were a little late. It's uh, <laughs> two weeks into February at this point, but it kind of reminds me of when Aaron Ramsey was signed by Juve a couple seasons ago or last mm-hmm. season, actually. And the level of effort that Aaron Ramsey put onto the field for Arsenal, it was pretty admirable because you would think that a team like Arsenal is like, you know what? We're going to sell him and he's not really going to grow much for the team, but he can still provide for the team because he is still one of the best players for the team. And Ziyech for Ajax, he's definitely one of their star players and one of their key players in that midfield. So I don't see him, I don't see Ajax benching him or just not giving him more game time. I think they're going to use him as most as they can until the season runs out. Not to really run him to the ground, not to you know put him in like say consulting terms, burn him out, just <laughs> put him every single minute for every single game. But I think they're still going to use him normally as they would because he is still a key factor in making sure that Ajax is competitive for the Eredivisie title and also competitive for the Europa League, which is <laughs> still a shocker for me to hear that Ajax is in the Europa League after making it so far in the Champions League last season. But you know that thing happens, but. Yeah. To uh, also highlight some of ZX like key factors or like key skills. He's one of those players that's able to really dribble past a player and also just find one of those long passes just out of nowhere. He's one of those very creative players. So hmm, I feel like he's one of those he's a key player that would unlock the wings because as we mentioned, Chelsea have probably the most wingers in, in the Premier League of any team. Yeah, you can basically just stack their entire team of just wingers, and I feel like Ziyech <laughs> would be a key player in unlocking all those wingers. And yeah, I mean, they're trying runs. to find a hazard replacement. <laughs> exactly, they haven't found one yet. I don't think Ziyech's that player, but I think he'll be a different kind of player for Chelsea. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I uh, with this move, you you could you kind of have to expect uh, Pedro or Willian are going to be on their way out. I would sus- I would suspect more Pedro just because we've seen less of him this season compared to Willian. I think uh, Lampard likes the effort of William a little bit more, but um, you know you could make a case that both could be sold, and you know Lampard's just going to trust you know Mason Mount, Pulisic, and Zayek. But that that is a long one going. But it, it's interesting because Ajax last season you mentioned got all the way to the Champions League semifinal, but most of that core is now gone. Uh, Delit um is now with Juventus. Uh, Frankie De Jong is obviously with Barcelona now. Hakim Ziyech is with. Chelsea, there's another player I'm missing right now on top of my head, but mostly that core, that core of that squad is now all gone. And reports are that, you know, maybe Donny van de Vick could be on his way out in the summer as well. So it's unfortunate. You do see this a lot. You know, some of the young and up and coming teams that do make it far and make a splash in Europe, they kind of get raided by a lot of the, not Premier League clubs, but a lot of the European elite clubs. We saw this with Monaco. A couple of seasons back when they had Mbappe, uh, Fabinho, uh, Lamar, uh, Benjamin oh, no. Mendy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just another one of those cases where the team kind of gets raided out. Unfortunate for Ajax, but they did get that magical run last season. But switching topics over to the Premier League again, the Manchester City West Ham game obviously was supposed to be one of the four games to be played this during this past weekend. It got rained out due to bad weather. It is a huge loss, I believe, for West Ham because they are a team in relegation zone and they kind of need to pick up some steam and start, you know, 
picking the momentum when it comes to the matches. Unfortunately, this match has now been rescheduled for this coming Wednesday, which is a very odd time because no other Premier League team will be playing at that time. And it just seems like it's bunched in with a bunch of games or a bunch of matches that both teams aren't really looking forward to. I know City obviously have a big run-in with all their other competitions in West Ham. I, I feel like if it was a rainy day and West Ham were playing at the Etihad, they might have had a chance. You know, it's a game that maybe the City players aren't going to be up for because it's raining, the weather's bad, you know, it's West Ham. I feel like you could have gave West Ham a little bit of confidence to go in there and maybe get a point. But I just feel like with now it being on Wednesday, City are probably going to just be dialed in and it's going to hurt West Ham's chances of even getting a result in this game. So really, really unfortunate for the team that needs to pick up points to avoid relegation. That's all I have to say for this one. For me, I also feel like it's kind of bad for City because they have been struggling in the Premier League in terms of the level of expectations where in the week before they lost to Tottenham. And the second you lose a game, I feel like for any player, they just want to immediately get into the next game so they can forget about that last result. And now they have to wait a whole other week. But there is like a slight plus that they can possibly wait to get Raheem Sterling back from injury, Aguero possibly coming back and getting a little bit more fitness, things like that. And also Emmerich Laporte, he was rested in the last game too, but maybe we'll see him start in the next game. But on the flip side of that as well, waiting this whole extra week makes it now a little bit more bunched up right before the Champions League knockout stages. And mm-hmm. Manchester City, of course, are against Real Madrid. And I feel like for Manchester City, Champions League is something that they are going to be gunning for because I think the Premier League is pretty much wrapped up. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> for the Champions League, they're very much in the running and they have a big opponent in Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid and Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. will be looking at this fixture for the past few months, probably. So I think yep. if anything with this opponent, West Ham just in the relegation zone, just chilling there. I think Pep Guardiola would be, okay with just getting like a 1-0 win for this one and just getting away with it but I I don't know I I feel like I disagree because I feel like I know City have been inconsistent but if you're a team that's been really bad this whole season which West Ham have been and you're in the relegation battle I feel like what you need to have is basically the luck kind of find fall in your favor and I feel like a rainy day if they played on Saturday obviously the game got canceled but if they were to play you know, obviously it's raining. The conditions are in their favor to maybe a mishap happening with the city defense or something crazy happening and falling in West Ham's favor. But I don't know. I, I feel like personally, I just feel like this playing it on a Wednesday just really hurts West Ham chances a lot because how does David Moyes kind of get his squad fired up to play on this random Wednesday, you know? But, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that comes down to being a good manager and, you know, we'll maybe see if David Moyes can be up for the task. But obviously that's a whole whole other situation right there but going into the other games we have Everton versus Palace uh Everton actually coming 3-1 winners and Richarlison I have to say had a really really good finish in this game um they're they're looking a little bit better under um under Ancelotti Mm -hmm. yeah I I I I genuinely feel like it could be a, a sign of things things are turning for the better however you know how many times have we said that about Everton when they get a new manager? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, this team looks amazing. Richarlison scoring. You know, Sigurdsson looks like he's the Swansea Sigurdsson. Uh, Theo Walcott actually looked pretty decent. But it's all up if they can actually sustain this form. Um, 
name is escape, escaping me. Uh, their midfielder, Andre Gomes, he is back in training, which wow. is crazy. He's slowly, slowly getting back to full fitness, which is absolutely crazy considering the horrific injury he faced. He suffered, I think, back in October, right? October? It was a few months ago. Yeah, it was a few months ago. So shout out to the medical staff they have over there. That's crazy how fast he's been recovering. But huge news for Everton if they can get a full, a healthy Andre Gomes, not even at the end of this season, but the start of next season. I think that will be a huge, huge, huge plus for that Everton midfield. But yeah, Everton looking on the up right now. And I do have to say, Sidibe subbing in as a substitute I did see for that. Walcott. He, <laughs> he forgot to put on a sock. <laughs> Ooh, he's about to get sold. <laughs> I don't know about that, but how do you forget to put on socks? It's like one of those scenarios like when you watch like NBA and you see a player forget to put on their jersey and they just have like their bib underneath. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. How do you forget? <laughs> how do you forget? I, I, dude, like he probably was just chilling out in the little bench. Oh my. It's like, yes, have you ever been to school and just forgot to wear pants or like a shirt? It's like, no, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. When I was little, I forgot my book bag one time. But oh, was, okay. So I guess, but that was when I was little, <laughs> I was like five years old, not a grown man. Yeah. But, you know, Steve did manage to get something <laughs> despite Wait, that. Wait, if he forgot his socks, that means he had to take off his boots. Yeah. Take so off his cleats, which takes more... forever to put on, you know, because they tighten them. So they make them so tight that he literally has to un- unlace them, put on his sock, and Theo Walcott's out there injured. Mm hmm. So Everton were down to 10 men for a period of the game because of that, which is one of the more weird things to see in the Premier League. If you were a manager, would you just tell them to get back on the bench? I'm just going to bring someone else in. I mean, at this point, Everton don't really have too much, too many choices. (laughs) So I think Ancelotti is just like, what the? (laughs) He's like, hey. (laughs) But, you know, Sidibe did come in and did make an impact, sure enough. And then Everton did get the 3-1, but... To go on the other side to Palace, Christian Benteke started this game and he scored his first goal in 19 games. And going into this game, he only scored one goal in 38 games, which is an insane stat to hear in a in a bad way for a former <laughs> Liverpool player. I was like, oh my gosh. How does someone oh. who with this kind of statistics, this kind of I don't know if pedigree is the right word, but like this kind of <laughs> This kind Pedigree. of form. <laughs> this kind of he's form. Manuel Adebayor. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Adebayor. I feel like scored more goals than that. But how does someone <laughs> like that manage to start for a Crystal Palace side? Not like from a fluke, but just more than more often than not. I feel like, dude, he it kind of reminds me of Shane Long. I Shane Long had a pretty bad record. I think he went close to this many games without actually scoring in the Premier League. He's doing a little bit better this season, but he's pretty bad for uh, a good majority of his uh, career in Southampton. But I don't know, man. Biteke is a sad story. I remember when he was at Aston Villa, he was an absolute beast. I mean, he was scoring goals. Like I, I remember. Uh, I think it was FIFA 14 or 15. I would put Belgium. I would. Uh, I would be the Belgium national team, and I would team up, do a 4-4-2, and I would have Lukaku and Benteke as my two strikers. And mm-hmm. that was an absolute tank of a lineup to have. But as we all know, uh, Benteke has not lived up to the hype and has slowly and slowly fallen off the radar of many, many clubs. That's why when he was asked in Villa, Liverpool uh, purchased him because he did show that potential that he could be a decent striker. And when obviously when he was at Liverpool, didn't really pan out. And then when Klopp got there, I mean, it was pretty much, he was pretty much done considering the way Klopp likes to play and Ben Teke doesn't like to run. 
Um, it was not it was not a match made in heaven right there. However, I did do have to say that when Palace bought him, I believe in 2016, I genuinely thought he was gonna return to maybe that Aston Villa striker where Zaha would just like whip in some balls and like you have Townsend whipping in some crosses that Benteke could just get his header on it. But for some reason, man, I I don't know why his uh this move has not panned out for him because it it seemed like it would be the perfect match considering you have two really good attacking wingers that are very capable enough of crossing in balls and you know feeding you the feeding you the ball when you're in inside the box. But Benteke is just an odd. Odd, odd story. <laughs> and I think the key is that the key to what you're saying is that he should probably go back to Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they need someone. <laughs> they do need a striker. And, you know, they do have Samata instead, the Tanzanian player they just got from the January transfer window. But Christian Benteke, during his Aston Villa days as a striker for that team, he was scoring basically like 20 goals in the Premier League, which is insane. Mm-hmm which is why he was getting so much traction. And I was wondering, how much do you feel like past experience, past pedigree plays a part into starting or having a manager decide who starts for a team? Because clearly, if you just base it on current form, I would not start for Christian Venteke. It'd be like, how is this guy still on the team? But how much do you think? I think it plays a big factor because um, there's another player that players just escaped... Uh, I would I would just say this. I know I just mentioned Adebayor, but Adebayor, you know, Palace loaned him in to basically be a their main striker. But obviously, up when they loaned him in, he was not that good, and they just basically loaned him in on the pedigree of his name. And I I I think we all see this when the smaller clubs or even some of the bigger clubs they're just kind of getting people in because of their name. And I feel like it does play a big role in terms of how many games you can start. Um, I'm trying to think. A guy like maybe like Theo Walcott. We always mention why does Theo Walcott always start so many of these Everton games or features in so many of them. I have to primarily I have to say because it's down to his name. I know he still has a little bit of pace and, you know, he can still offer a little bit here and there. But consistently, he's not that good. Uh, But he's still getting that chances because I think a lot of people are kind of clinging on and maybe hoping that, okay, I know Walcott's getting older, but maybe he's become wiser enough to, you know, develop some other skills in his game. But as we've all seen, like that just doesn't happen. And these players are just kind of getting a free ride because of their hype and their, and their big name. (laughs) (laughs) But despite that, Christian Benteke is one of those hype players that continues to play, but Mm -hmm. it kind of, I would say that during this game, Christian Benteke could have gotten a hat trick. The only goal he scored was the one that just slipped through Jordan Pickford's (laughs) legs, which is kind of bizarre to see from, a Premier League goalie that's been there for several seasons now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nevertheless, Christian Mateke, the man that I'm just going to continue wondering how he's still on a Crystal Palace side like that. How much did Liverpool pay for? I don't even remember. It Was Was it upwards of 50? Or I don't think it was 50, but it was definitely it was definitely up there. It was not what, one you, of those what, steals. What, what, was it actually... <laughs> Was it, uh, do you think it was like a panic buy or was it like a ge- genuinely thought they were going to get like a really good striker? No, it was definitely a, the thought when Brandon Rogers was there. I was like, all right, this is our striker. This is our replacement for Andy Carroll. Because they got Bellatelli the year before. <laughs> yeah. Line, and, right? You know, we did not have a very good string of <laughs> high quality strikers for a long time. When Suarez left. Once Suarez left, we had, you know. Andy Carroll. We put Raheem Sterling oh, as the same season. That was the same summer you guys bought Firmino. 
But yeah. that was before he really developed into like the Firmino of this. Mm-hmm. This Firmino. This was a midfielder Firmino. So yeah. after they figured out, I was like, all right, Ben Tech is not going to work out. Let's just put Firmino up there. Like, all right, well, this guy's working out. <laughs> He's worked out quite well. Oh, man. But, oh, man. Man. I mean, <laughs> there was hope at the beginning when Christian Benteke scored that bike against Manchester yeah. United. Dude, how, what a random goal to score by, but like such a random player. How did he score that? I mean, he was he still. He it so cleanly. I know, but like, that's what he could do. He's just one of those players. If you just chuck him something, like, if you lob something up to him, he'll finish it. <laughs> It's like the equivalent of like a big center in the NBA. You just like Andy Carroll, yeah, or like Peter Crouch. You just have to yeah. lob it up to give him. The service, yeah, just have to give him the service. But there's no team in the Premier League that was built like Aston Villa was, where it's just literally just mm-hmm. feeding one player this many crosses or like that consistently for headers because like just no one could compete with them in terms of headers. So yeah, I feel like a lot of teams are kind of going away from that. You know. I guess like having that one target guy up there, like they want everyone to be involved, you know, that more of that attacking philosophy type yeah. of uh, type of game being implemented, but sad days for Ben Teke. He's got to figure out what to do. Otherwise he's going to be down in the championship soon enough, but <laughs> uh, moving on to Brighton and Watford, this game finished one, one, but I do want to point out the amazing finish by Watford defender, Adrian Mariapa. Uh, my goodness, Tyler, how do you have to say about this finish? World class. I mean, the way his positioning, the you know where he needed to be, the slight tap in. I mean, come on, dude. That was like that was better than Thierry Henry right there. <laughs> For those who did not watch this game, this was a relegation battle basically between a Brighton team that was in 15th and Watford, who was in 19th. But right or Watford got on the score sheet first of uh, Decores. Just ripping a good in goal. a good really goal. Really good goal. Kind of rivaling Pogba for that French midfield spot. <laughs> Brighton managed to equalize because Adrian Mariafa finished a cross from a Brighton winger. And he had he was marking no one. He just ran into the box and <laughs> assumed the pressure was on him. He just just, just scored it on his own team. It, it, it was oh, literally man. a side foot finish. Just no pressure on him. Look, if I if I was out there, I probably would have done the same thing. But obviously, <laughs> really I, don't paid, score sheet. I, I don't get paid billions of dollars to play this game. <laughs> I was like, man, Watford, they're destined to get relegated if they're doing stuff like this. They're at least scoring <laughs> for the other team. Dude, it was a really good finish, too. He didn't even, he didn't even like, sky it. It, like, went perfectly into the corner. It didn't what look like finish. an accident. That was the thing. It looks <laughs> like it was very intentional. It's like, where did that Dude, come I, from? If, all right. Do you blame the keeper for not shouting? Because even if he left it, there was no way. Like, maybe a Brighton offender could have gotten to the end of it. But by the time he would have gotten it, it would have literally been by the byline. I think like, it's who, on Mariafa to really know really? what's around him. His, like, like field awareness. Something that <laughs> a, a player of his caliber and his experience should have. Where he's like, all right, he, he should know there's no one around him. But literally within, I would say, a 10-yard radius, there was no one around him. And he panicked and just hit it into his own net wide open <laughs> great great cross straight to mariafo and sure enough he just gave him Look, a free point tyler and i know someone that his number one philosophy when defending is just to kick it out i think mariapa would have been probably take he probably took that advice too literally when he meant by kick it out <laughs> he just kicked it right. right back into his own net <laughs> he's probably yeah, think about the direction there <laughs> <laughs> oh but, but that's yeah. that, but you were mentioning it's a relegation battle. That's huge 
drop mm-hmm. points. I mean, who, all right, if you're in the locker room, what do you tell Mariapa? Are you putting an arm around his shoulder? Dude, it's Nigel Pearson's his manager. There's no way Nigel Pearson put an arm around his shoulder. He probably like, screamed at his face. Nigel Pearson, the man who allegedly in Transylvania fought a pack of wolves off by himself. <laughs> who knows what he did to Mariapa? <laughs> What if you were his teammate, Tyler? What would you do? I would have just left him alone. I mean, like, that man's in a dark place right now. Probably <laughs> don't look at social media for a few, at least oh, until the man. next game, because he's just going to get destroyed. Uh, see, there's a difference from, like, scoring, like, an accidental own goal, but then scoring an own goal like that. Yeah. yeah. And also, if at the very end of the season, if they lose or get relegated, because of one, one or two, like points. two points. They're going to look back at this game and they're going to be like, man, 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 man. <laughs> he literally just threw that game away. Oh, man. Isn't that the story of Watford this season, though? That, just throwing away points. I mean, they have been pretty resurgent in terms of getting out of straight 20th place and now 19th, but it would be pretty sad for them to resurge and then really, literally shoot themselves in the foot with kind of antics like this but mm-hmm. i mean mistakes happen and you know panic happens but even then for a player like mariapa someone who mm-hmm. is like on the other side of 30 and has been in the premier league for multiple teams i feel like he should know better than that yeah it that that kind of shows that the confidence level obviously is a little bit faltering at watford's camp right now but going into the sheffield united bournemouth game sheffield united band the blades finding another way to win Beating Bournemouth 2-1, I actually thought Bournemouth were going to steal some points and win this game. At a certain point, it did look like that could have happened. But, I mean, Sheffield United found a way to do it again. And their new signing that they actually signed in January, I forgot to mention this dude, Sander Burge, a very young Norwegian midfielder, a really good young ball-playing midfielder. Has There was an article that said that he's kind of had to shift his role in terms of being a more you know box-to-box um, midfielder for Sheffield just to provide that energy that that the blades are acquiring and Chris Wilder wants from his team. But again, they're, they're just finding ways to win. And they're, they're kind of reminding me of wolves of last season. However, I don't think they have the, I guess the star power that wolves had to maybe sustain this for next season. They kind of remind me of maybe a Burnley side that we saw two seasons ago where they just kind of exploded in the Premier league and no one could really stop them. Um, It seems like that. I feel like this, this squad reminds me more of Burnley than it does of Wolves, where they have the quality to maybe sustain this for the coming seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, Yash, because we've always kind of, or at least I've always kind of said that yeah. this team has been mostly players that they built from the championship, and they have a really good system, and it just so happens to work with these certain amount of players and this tactical setup. I feel, I feel but, like Bournemouth did had the same little the same little bounce when they got in the Premier League, you know, like no one could stop Eddie Howe for a little bit. Like he beat Chelsea and Manchester United back to back in his first season in the Premier League. And if you have the right tactics, honestly, I feel like you could stop certain teams like how uh, Peter Crouch, when he was at Stoke City, he said that a Stoke side in a cold rainy night in the town of Stoke could potentially give Barcelona a run for its money because Stoke is just a more physical team, a very disruptive team. And yeah, yeah. someone teams, like breaking his leg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like that's the more equivalent of that now in the Premier League is Burnley, where literally the whole team is just very... It's just, aggressive. Yeah, very aggressive, just big guys. And 
Sheffield is not that team, but they have like a pedigree to them. Like a, they definitely have a plan where you know Sheffield can manage to squeak out a one nil or manage to only mm-hmm. concede one or or no goals. You don't usually see them conceding five goals, four goals, three goals. They're very tight in their defense and. It just looks like all these players just work in this system. It's kind of bizarre because you don't expect that. And like, there's certain players you see where it's like Billy Sharp, he managed to play this game. He was a player who helped them out of the championship and been a long-term veteran for this team. And he actually managed to start this game and got man of the match and scored a goal. But like players like that, there's been a part of the team for a long time. And also just random in my at least random players that at least I haven't even heard of, like Sander Burge, the new signing. Yeah, John I, I've never heard of like Ollie McBurney, mm-hmm. like guys like that, and Edna Stevens, mm-hmm. <laughs> George Baldock. Yep, literally all these players is not a staple to the Premier League or just any. And, that, other. and that's why I don't think it's sustainable. Just because you just don't know if these guys are just playing out of their minds for one season, sort of like Leicester did with their squad. You know, I, I I know obviously you can't have superstar talent all over the place, but there's a reason that once you start becoming really consistent and pretty good, that's when the big clubs come and, you know, snipe you away. But with these guys, they I, I, I'm really happy that they're doing this good. I mean, I think it's awesome, but you know, there's probably a reason they were in the championship for a couple of seasons now. Maybe they you know, they maybe they aren't this consistent. They're just maybe having a, you know, one off season where they're just, oh my gosh, like fantastic. That's true. It could be like a Huddersfield situation, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm also kind of struggling to figure out, are there any players in particular you could see? It's like, oh, that's a standout player that could be bought by another bigger club. Maybe well, one, Dean Henderson. No, like, well, I have to say that Dean Henderson's actually on loan from Manchester United. So mm-hmm. United have like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has definitely said that he wants Henderson to come back. And Henderson said he actually wants to be he like his goal is to be the number one United keeper and obviously David De Gea is still there, but you know, that's one big guy that I know will be leaving Sheffield United after the season. That's huge. Cause he's, he's been probably one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier league this season. And he's a, you know, young developing talent and losing a keeper of that kind of stature that's growing like that. I feel like it could be a big miss for that defense. Cause you, you've seen with Liverpool, how much, a, you know, obviously Van Dyke made a big difference, but how much a really good goalkeeper can really, turn the tide in terms of organizing everyone correctly. Mm-hmm. And I do agree. Dean Henderson is tied with Allison and Nick Pope for most clean sheets in the Premier League this season right now with nine. Mm-hmm. And he is a young leader. And I feel like he's low key could challenge Jordan Pickford for that number one England spot, actually. Cause yeah. Jordan Pickford's Pickford, a little, a little erratic. Yeah. A little erratic. He, can pull he does out. have a really he has a he has a beast of an arm like Patrick Mahomes esque arm mm-hmm. and also leg. Yes, like Patrick His Mahomes. Legs. <laughs> <laughs> the of Patrick Mahomes leg, I, or I guess that could be more Ederson. But even then, Jordan Pickford he really exploded. I feel like at first because of his distribution ability, but at the same time, Dean Henderson as a goalkeeper this season has just really impressed me. That the fact that I feel like he can single handedly be the reason why. Sheffield get a clean sheet or just mm-hmm. got a nil nil yeah, or one and I, zero. And I have to say this: when uh, Sheffield United did play Manchester United when they hosted them, they ended up conceding three goals because obviously with the loan type of deals, you can't play against your parent club. And when they had to put a backup goalkeeper in, they ended up conceding three. Obviously, that's one. That's a one off game, but you know 
that's not a good sign to see once you replace your star keeper. You have to bench him for one game. Man. Well, that means Sheffield definitely have to be on the look for the next keeper. Next, don't get Serge Rico. That's all they know. Don't get Serge Rico. Don't get Serge Rico. (laughs) He is not worth it. Maybe get. (laughs) (laughs) He's gonna be on the market apparently. Maybe. Oh man, but but Bournemouth, it's a huge loss for them. Mm -hmm. Um, They did look uh, all right, I would say, in the first half. They managed to cut apart the Sheffield defense to get that Mm -hmm. first goal. Callum Wilson getting the rebound goal off of a Callum Wilson or a Harry Wilson shot. Yeah. There's so many Wilsons on there. Yeah. So many Wilson. But the thing I do want to, the thing that really stuck out to me though, in this game, unfortunately was more the kick about between Andrew Sherman or Andrew Sermon and Chris Wilder. Wilder. I forgot about that. Literally. uh, They, they got into a fight and, Andrew Sermon is not a player that plays that often. And he, <laughs> in one of his first games back, he just gets into a fight with the opposition coach. Yeah. But they both got yellow carded. And this was not a thing I didn't, that really stuck out to me, but I forgot coaches can get yellow carded. Hey, I mean, I mean, obviously Mourinho's not with United anymore, but I feel like, remember in his first season there, he kept getting sent away to the stands because he kept doing something. Yeah. I thought that was just, you know, the referee just telling the managers like, "Hey, just chill," or just like, "All right, you got, you're off. Sorry, like you got, you got to go." I didn't think they actually received yellow cards. Yeah, <laughs> but That's now, funny. now we know. If you ever get asked, listeners, can coaches get yellow carded? They can, at least mm-hmm. in the Premier League. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna say, uh, what type of retooling do you think Eddie Howe needs to do at Bournemouth I feel like he's been kind of running with the same type of I know obviously he's slowly been phasing some players out but I still feel like a lot of that core structure that was there when he got promoted is still there I I genuinely think they might need to do like a bit of a rebuilding uh, this coming summer transfer window in terms of maybe solidifying that midfield more and actually really focusing in on the defense because that's probably been Eddie Howe's worst um attribute since he's been Bournemouth manager in the Premier League it's just that his defense has never been up to par to what he can do offensively and I think because the goals have not been coming that's why they've been struggling so much is because Josh Key and Colin Wilson have all been injured so much this season and I, I would really like Eddie Howe to really take an effort to shore up that defense and make sure it's up to maybe like a Sheffield United level where they are more compact and can you know keep clean sheets mm-hmm but I think the issue also draws from their midfield and having Dan Gosling, Andrew Sermon, and Philip Billing be the main center mid trio for this game in particular because I feel like in the past they have always had one of those key creative midfielders, like say a junior Stanislas, who back in the days, like he did, he was on the bench for this game, but I remember him the- and uh, Ryan Fraser. I used to have him on my fantasy team sometimes. They exactly. would like get, they would get. They would basically get run into the penalty box and penalty kicks all the time. Exactly. They were so yeah. These these were players that could make things happen. And I feel like although Eddie Howell's team historically were not always the best in terms of defense, they were very good at attacking, very good at breaking down other teams. Mm. And so you say go all out that. for yeah, attack. I think, I think they should do that. And I, it's hard to rebuild given that Bournemouth are not a very – big powerhouse in terms of finances they're more a team that kind of finds those diamonds in the rough 
and Jordan Ibe. Jordan Ibe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and also, like, to dude, what is he doing now? Probably in the reserves. <laughs> Jeez. Or injured, but oh man, Bournemouth also do like to pick up Liverpool youngsters such as Harry Wilson, Dominic Solanke. Yes, or oh, wait, no. Oh, wait. I was thinking about Solanke. Never mind. Yeah, Solanke and well, G- Rian Brewster is at Swansea now. For those who are interested, oh, is he sold there? Com- like permanently? No, he's he's only there on loan, okay. <laughs> which is good because he's one of those players I do like to follow. But dude, how would this have been a weird sign? What if Daniel Sturridge? What if they signed Daniel Sturridge? I know obviously they can't anymore, but what if they? You know, when he was a free agent at Liverpool, I feel like low key that could have been a decent pickup. Mm, the problem is that it, it kind of would make sense because he would want big wages though i would say that he would want the big be... wages but also he would be able to start because the ineptitude of injury proneness for all the for all the bournemouth strikers are on the level of not actually no daniel sturridge is like the epitome of injury prone but <laughs> Most of the players that are strikers and forwards for Bournemouth are pretty injury prone. So I feel like they would just cycle through them over and over and over. And, you know, eventually one should be always fit. But, you know, given they're all injury prone, maybe they'll all be injured at one point. It's like maybe it won't be worth it. If anything, they should always have a player that's fit. (laughs) Who's the most fit striker that they could bring? Honestly, at this point, it's Dominic Solanke. But he's not even that... I mean, I'm not that impressed when I watch him. I'm not gonna lie. Me neither. When he was at Chelsea as a youth player, everyone was raving about him. He was scoring like four goals in a game for the England national side. But like when you see him in in game for Liverpool, it just he just looks so what's the word? Just not very mobile. It was yeah. very like mm-hmm. he couldn't really go that quickly around players yep. and he was very like clunky, very very sloppy, but and yeah, he honestly didn't have like that monster of a finish. Like I feel mm-hmm. like at certain points, like a Mason Mount was a better finisher than Solanke. That's a big big take right there, but I I don't blame you. I don't I don't really like Solanke that that much <laughs> either. But you know what? It was crazy. We mentioned Ryan Fraser. He actually still hasn't signed a new contract yet with Bournemouth. I I don't know exactly what the situation is going on. I don't know if he's demanding more money in Bournemouth or not, willing to fork up the fork up the money but uh to lose a player like ryan frazier i know obviously hasn't had the best season but low-key he is kind of a pest when it comes to playing some some of the bigger teams because all he does is run and he'll basically outrun anyone he's such like a little he's like almost like a like a like a great value brand of jordan shakiri you know value brand yeah like very chunky you know he's got like he's the, he's got the same chunkiness like pretty short is a very big nuisance and you know can pull off some moves and get get around defenders very easily so they still have not figured out that situation and Bournemouth lose him they're really gonna have to invest big into finding another big uh, finding another good winger I think it'll be a huge loss if they lose him and Ryan Frazier is a key player in knowing Eddie Howe's system so I feel like even for Ryan Frazier I don't know if he could go to a bigger squad or a bigger team and really make as much of an impact as he does for this Bournemouth side but, I mean, even then, this season, he's been basically shut down by most opposition defenses. So, it's, it's yeah. a little tricky. And I, yeah, I remember it, the old Ryan Frazier, who was able to disrupt the Liverpool side. I was like, who is this man? <laughs> who, is this, who is this small man 
Yeah, like, I wreaking havoc to this Liverpool defense. I was like, oh my gosh. But now he's yeah. At a certain point, Arsenal were very keen on getting him. I think it was last summer mm. that they were that they were wanting to get him. I think Unai Emery was a bit of a fan, but that's obviously changed. Um, but that obviously was the four games or three games actually that were played this weekend. But um, going through t- some, I guess, some minor transfer news. Interesting reports from Manchester United camp is that I've seen from a couple reports is that. Ed Woodward apparently has been talking to Mauricio Pochettino and Mauricio Pochettino has said that he would love to come back to the Premier League and coach there. And I keep seeing a bunch of reports about him and Ed Woodward talking and Pochettino apparently will could convince the Glaciers enough to, you know, make him the permanent manager. I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, Loki seems like more of a backstab move for my, my opinion, because I don't know. Uh, you can say all you want. I, 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 Right now, I would say that, you know, obviously Pochettino is a better manager than Solskjaer, but obviously Solskjaer is a club legend. I don't know if it's one of those things like a Pellegrini, Pep Guardiola thing where Pellegrini can just kind of accepts that, hey, I won't be the manager for next season, but I'm just going to do my best with the squad and let Pep, like what he did at City, just let Pep take over in the summer. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of like split on this. It'd be cool to get Pochettino, but I mean, just to change a manager like that, it's a, it's not a good look. And I feel like for Manchester United, they trusted Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to rebuild a squad and give them the uh, the appropriate time to really build a young core and, as Yosh likes to say, eliminate the dead wood. And that's not going to happen in one or two seasons. It's going to be a process. And Solskjaer... They've already this- done a lot. Like, Ashley mm-hmm. Young... Um- I mean, obviously, Chris Smalling was a little bit good, but he's out on loan. Lukaku, Lexi Sanchez, out on loan. Um, who else am I missing? Missing some other players. Uh, what are the names? Oh, Tenio Valencia. I mean, Phil Jones is still there, but Marcus Rojo has gone out on loan. I mean, slowly and slowly, that squad is uh, getting rid of some of those players that weren't that good. Mm-hmm. And we still need to see what kind of players Solskjaer does bring in in terms of say midfield and attack, because he he did a decent job this past summer transfer window. But I mean, even then a few players like this, isn't really fulfilling his full vision for what the team should look like. And mm-hmm. for Pochettino, it, it does kind of make sense because he does have that Premier league history and the, like history of winning big games, but not winning trophies. And maybe if he was on this Manchester United side, he could potentially turn that around. Kind of like how Klopp was a Dortmund where Klopp did win Bundesliga titles, but he never won the Champions League or things like that. He made it to the final, of course, but he... Yeah, maybe it was one of those things. There's a cap on how, how far you could take a team. Mm-hmm. But... You know, obviously Dortmund didn't have the unlimited budget, or I would say as big of a budget as maybe a Liverpool or like that branding that Liverpool may have, you know, compared to mm-hmm. a Tottenham in Manchester United. But do you think it would be like a puzzle, puzzle, like fit for Pochettino just to slide right into this Manchester United side? Because there are a lot of young players and Pochettino did a really good job building and fulfilling a lot of potential players for this Tottenham side, such as Youngman's son, Harry Kane, Deli Ali, and building up to be like basically superstars and he had if he were to go to Manchester United which I was I still don't really see happening he would have at least an arsenal of players that he could build off of I would say this if he did take over the job he would be in a much better position 
taking it than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had when he took it. Just because I would... Maybe this is what Solskjaer's role is as Manchester United full-time manager was, you know, to lay the building blocks for someone else to take over. I know that's kind of a sad thing to say, but maybe it was one of those things that, hey, it's a three-year process, but maybe he couldn't really get you all the way to the heights he wanted. But at least he laid a good foundation for someone else to take over and kind of build on that, you know, such as what Pellegrini kind of did with Pep Guardiola. I know they won the title with Pellegrini, but, you know, they obviously signed Kevin De Bruyne under Pellegrini. Um, obviously had Aguero, they signed Sterling too, and then Pep Guardiola obviously came in and brought in a lot of players as well. But I don't know. Uh, I'm a little torn. I feel like if this were to happen, it would be kind of, I don't know. It just feels so wrong to do that to someone that you just gave the full-time job to. Yeah. And also, it's just the expectations for Solskjaer are not, you know, to go to the moon. It's just, you know, at least get us off the ground in the right direction. At least yeah. aim towards it. And, and so, I know it's been very frustrating, but I feel like at times you you kind of see maybe, okay, you can kind of see that, okay, the future, like future does look at some sort sometimes bright, but it's been a tough season. And obviously um, they need to get bigger players, but a guy that has basically been linked away from Dortmund probably this whole season is Jaden Sancho, the uh, superstar winger for England. Um Obviously, he's been linked to a bunch of Premier League clubs. And with Chelsea signing Hakeem Zayek, I feel like that kind of takes him out of the running for Jadon Sancho. But, however, a team that is currently, right now, what it seems like is in first place to sign him is currently Manchester United. Uh, they're going to have to pay over an excess of £100 million to sign him. I think Dortmund, if they do sell him, they have said that they would want to sell him after the Euros just to see if his stock would increase. I think United are going to go all out if they have a chance to sign Jaden Sancho. Ooh, and that probably means like, you know, they're going to have to offer up a lot of money. But I think they're also looking at going all out for Jack Grealish, too. So, I mean, if they were to get Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho in one summer window, that's a huge, huge um, benefit and a huge plus to their attacking talents if they were to pick up those two players. Jordan Sancho, or Jaden Sancho, the <laughs> former Manchester City player. That just seems crazy to me also if he were to go to Manchester United. Jaden Sancho, while at Dortmund, he was one of the key players in creating chances or having a large number of assists already this season and also scoring a few goals here and there. But I feel like at the same time, Manchester United have so many wingers. It's like I they need a striker. They need like an Erling Holland more than a Jaden Sancho. But then again, if Sancho is creative enough to hopefully s- s- kind of complement Bruno Fernandes, I think that'll be maybe a good move there. And since he is an England player, that would help in the Premier League at least, where they always try to bring, they always try to have most of the Premier League sides keep and start, you know, homegrown players. And for Jaden Sancho, this would be a huge signing for Manchester United. Kind of like how Raheem Sterling was for Manchester City a few seasons ago where they paid the excess 50 million pounds, which was a lot at the time, for a player who was an up-and-coming player, but also at the same time was an England player. So that's why the fee was more excessive. And also you see that with Harry Maguire as well, just being an England center back. If he was like from some random country, I don't know, like Botswana. Finland. Finland. (laughs) Finland, something like that. Literally, I think his stock win has been as crazy. Yeah. 
but it's just because of that as well. That's mm-hmm. why he is worth so much. But I think Jaden Sancho, it would be a very interesting move for Manchester I think it would be a good move regardless, but at the same time, I feel like in terms of priorities, Manchester United should be spending that mil- that hundred million in other places. Well, what I've been seeing from a lot of reports is they're like they're definitely targeting trying to get at least two strikers in, and they're targeting to bolster up the midfield. And obviously, you know that comes with the bolstering up your attacking sides as well. So they're looking. It seems like they they prioritize you know fixing the defense a lot this past summer, and they're trying to get with this summer. They're trying to get that more creativeness, you know, that more creativity and that more you know the goals, the assists from their wingers and their attackers. So that's look like it's looking like that's what they're trying to do this coming summer but obviously we'll have to wait and see what they actually do but going on to the preview obviously the three games we're looking at is the first one um is wolverhampton Wolves versus leicester city a really really good game i would say because it is a wolf side that have been very good this season and a leicester city side that have also been very good raul jimenez i feel like as a striker i said this before and i'll say it again has to be moving to a bigger club this coming summer it's gonna happen there's just no way Premier League teams cannot look at this guy and be like, this guy cannot improve our squad. This guy is really good. I really do enjoy him. And he's only 28, so he'll be 29. So I feel like I feel like he could definitely slot into maybe, I'm trying to think. Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, Manchester United. But I was trying to think maybe a a team that needs a striker right away. Um, I mean, I feel like he could just, he even if it's not even within the Premier League, like all over Europe, he's just, he's just ready to go striker like top talent striker and i i just really like his game and i think he really needs to be on the move to a bigger club i would say but i'm gonna go with wolves in this game it's at the molyneux it's a home game for him so i'm gonna go 2-1 wolves oh. adama triori winning a penalty oh look at that for me i'm just gonna straight up say i think it's gonna be a 2-2 draw <laughs> but i will echo everything yes mentioned for rahul Jimenez and Adama Chare as well. Adama Chare is slowly becoming a key player I like to keep an eye on this season because he's literally an, a player just you can't defend against. He's just so big. He's literally Ezekiel Elliott, the NFL <laughs> <laughs> Cowboys running back, who's just literally as tank. wide as he is tall <laughs> in terms of oh, yeah. muscle mass. And to so, tank. Yeah, he's basically a tank. So this is a, a rare kind of player to have. And it's it's going to be interesting to see Ben Chilwell try to stop Adama Chare on the wings there. But done. Leicester have been struggling a little bit in terms of their defense. They, in around November. Our man Soinchu, man. Yeah, Soinchu. Lord Forquad is not. <laughs> been very good these mm-hmm. past couple months. And, you know, Wilfred Ndidi has been out during that time too, but. I'm not too sure if he's going to be starting this upcoming game because even though he was fit for the last game against Chelsea, he didn't really make too much of an impact. And I feel like Wilfred Ndidi was one of those key players in making sure Soyuncu was always covered and had a player ahead of him. But without that support, I feel like Leicester is going to struggle a little bit to contain a very informed Raul Jimenez and Adama Chare, as well as the occasional Ruben, Fine- or Ruben Neves finesse long shot so from like 40 yards out 40 yards out something like that so i wouldn't be surprised if it was a 2-2 especially with Mm -hmm. these two teams gunning for a very high place finish in the premier league higher than a lot of people were expecting them to be in yeah uh that'll be a good game to watch and then we got arsenal versus newcastle 
Uh, both teams had Dillon draws over the past, not obviously not this past weekend, but the weekend before that in the last game week. Arsenal at home, they have kind of been a little bit on and off. I, As we mentioned with Lacazette, we're a bit on the cups with him, but they're facing a Newcastle side that I don't think is going to cause them too much danger. I don't know. I have a feeling that Arsenal will just kind of play their game. They have that rest, that rest period. So I'm actually going to go with Arsenal probably winning this game 2-0. 2-0? Oh. Yeah. For this game, it was very interesting because, as you just mentioned, these two teams finished off last game week with nil-nils and Newcastle drawing nil-nil to Norwich. And a Norwich side who are in bottom of the table 20th. But at the same time, the reason why it looked like that is because Newcastle just couldn't finish any of their chances. Miguel Amaron, of course, did have an open header, but or an open goal, but he just headed it, unfortunately, off target. And he is starting to get more of those chances. But even then, a Newcastle side who basically plays three left backs in the defense and five yeah. defenders in total, I think it's going to be a little difficult for Arsenal to break down this Newcastle side because they are pretty resilient this season. And for a team like Burnley, who the week before drew nil-nil to Arsenal, they were able to make Arsenal look like a really predictable team in terms of their passing, their tactics. And I'm curious to see if Mikel Arteta kind of takes that into mind and think, maybe we got to change it up a little bit or maybe spark it up and be a little bit more free-flowing, a little bit more disorganized. Not disorganized, but just <laughs> not as not as predictable i should say because yep. sometimes that organization can lead to predictable that means moves. benching like a zet so he's not beginning the job done but this is a very long way away of me saying it's gonna be very stalemate i feel like between the two mm-hmm. and i think it'd be a one one because i don't see these two teams having the defense to really shut out the other team but i don't really see any team pulling away so i also see a one one so so far it just draws from me Fair enough. Um, and then obviously the biggest game of the weekend, a Monday night game, Chelsea versus Manchester United. Obviously, in the basically the, the game to start off the Premier League season, that opening weekend, Manchester United beat Chelsea 4-0 four, four at home. First game of the, uh, of the game, or first weekend, or the first game week in the Premier League. So obviously so many things have turned up since then so many different storylines the way these two teams have gone since that result it's been a lot different Chelsea obviously in the Champions League place United are trying to get there I don't know how this game will go I don't know if Odin Agala will make his start I feel like maybe Martial would come off the bench but Bruno Fernandes obviously will probably play Scott McTominay is back in training he probably he's not going to be fit for this game but I think it's probably going to be a Matic Fred midfield and then Fernandez playing as a number 10. I would say this game will probably end up being a 2-2 just because United haven't United used to be really bad at Stamford Bridge but recently have been finding a little bit better results there. They did beat them in the Carabao Cup and that's when Rashford basically smashed in a wonderful free kick, but I would go for 2-2. Hmm. Well, as you just mentioned, this is a Monday night game, of course, in England. But for us on the East Coast of the U.S., uh, it is a 3 o'clock p.m. game, which means I'm going to be at work. Not ideal. I'll be in class. <laughs> I, I'll be at class. I'll, I'll catch the I'll probably miss like the first 15 minutes. Oh, man. And for me, I'm going to have to pretend I'm working. Uh, yeah. Hopefully no one at work hears that. <laughs> but 
Anyways, I think for this game, with Manchester United's significant injury to Marcus Rashford not being in the lineup potentially this upcoming game, and for them basically going to be feeding Bruno Fernandes the goal, the ball for almost basically every play like they did against the Wolves side last week. I think Chelsea might take that into account and think, hmm, maybe they're going to do that again. And being at Stanford Bridge, I feel like they'll have that slight edge on United where they know United are struggling for our goals. And maybe Bruno Fernandes will squeak one in from 50 yards out. We're just, we're just going to keep going farther back every time we set <laughs> open shots. But I feel like if something were to happen, maybe it would be Bruno Fernandes. But at the same time, I think Chelsea do have the upper hand for this game because they are more they have a more fully fit side. Tammy Abraham starting to get back on the, on the scoring sheet. And Mason Mount, Willian starting to get more into the groove. So And Jorginho just coming out of nowhere from the holiday season, starting to score more penalties, earn more penalties as well. And who knows about the keeper situation? I don't know if they're going to start Willie Caballero again. That'd be the Kepa. only reason why that I could see a 2-2 happening. But if Kepa does start, I think he Kepa would be slightly more motivated and slightly more well-rounded with the fact that he played most of the season compared to like a Willie Caballero who played one or two. <laughs> I think he'd be more up for this game and Chelsea will win 2-1. Ooh, you got a Chelsea two one win. I got a mm-hmm. you, I got a Manchester United Chelsea two two draw. I think it'll be a fun game. We're both predicting a pretty high scoring game, so it'll be fun to watch. Hopefully, it turns into a good spectacle for any new show to watch. But that's gonna be the game everyone is gonna have their eyes on this weekend. But that kind of does it for us for episode sixty three. Kind of a weird one because there weren't that many games to talk about, but we did find some cool topics to talk about here and there. But please make mm-hmm. sure to rate comment subscribe tell us what you like what you don't like we want to hear your thoughts and opinions on the show but other than that that kind of does it for us for this episode thank you guys peace peace <laughs>